everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Husky Talk. This is Amaya and Randy. This week our guest comes to us from Nature's Kennel in the UP in Michigan. Please welcome to the show, Laura Nice. Hey, Laura. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to us. We appreciate it and we're excited to talk to you. No problem. Thanks for having me. Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod questions for you. Ready? I'm ready. Who was the first female Iditarod champion? Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> what is the halfway point for the northern route? Halfway point for the northern route would be... Oh, boy, you're really quizzing me now. <laughs> Ruby? Cripple? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> what was used for the very first finish line? Ooh, you guys are good. Um, I honestly don't know the answer to this question. It's Kool-Aid, and um, they didn't have a finish line, so they went to the store and grabbed Kool-Aid and then sprinkled it on the thing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Who has the fastest finish time? Vidi, holder of the fastest finish time is Mitch Vidi. Correct. Nice job. You got three out of five. <laughs> you guys are good at finding quiz questions. <laughs> now we are going to find out some more about you. First, tell us a little about yourself. All right. Um, well, obviously, my name is Laura Nice. Um, I have been running dogs since um, I started the kennel when I was 14, and I fell in love with the sport at the age of nine and kind of decided that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I um, pursued my passion and kept dreaming, dreaming big, and as soon as I turned 18, I moved up here to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to work for Nature's Kennel, and I've been here for the last five years and have taken over the A-teams, the main racing teams, and I've um, been fortunate to travel all over the continent, really, and see all kinds of amazing, amazing places and have all kinds of cool adventures with my team. We heard you were homeschooled. Can you tell us about that experience? Absolutely. So, yeah, I was homeschooled all the way through, and um, for me, it was a huge, it was amazing. Um, I'm a really um, motivated person, so I like to learn at a fast pace, and so homeschooling is perfect. So I can learn at my own speed and then have tons of time every day to um, well, in my early, before I got into foot dogs, to play with goats and learn all kinds of stuff about animals from their health. And then um, once I got foot dogs, to work with them and train them. And really, um, I really learned a lot those first couple of years of having my own kennel. To, I learned a lot the hard way, but... Being able being homeschooled enabled me to just read everything I could and learn as much as I could 
and then uh, try to make it all a reality with my own dogs. So it was pretty awesome. That sounds really cool. Did you do any sports or extracurricular activities with the school? I did not. I um, kind of chose not to. My whole life I've been very animal-oriented. So um, what I did, kind of my extracurricular activity growing up was dog 4-H. And um, so I always had at least one dog that I worked with every year. And training obedience, I did showmanship, agility, all kinds of stuff just playing with them so that sounds fun when you were when you were younger did you ever think of being anything anything besides a musher hmm when I was really really young I wanted to be a writer which is really funny because I really don't enjoy writing (laughs) um and then yeah ever since I was nine pretty much all I've ever wanted to be. We read that you went to Penn Foster for college to study to be a vet tech. Can you tell us about how this has helped you be a musher? Yeah, um, it has helped a lot. Um, just knowing the, uh, all of those little in-depth things about the dogs, you know, all their anatomy and physiology, um, all that very handy healthy stuff <laughs> um, helps a lot, especially when you have, um, we actually have about 200 dogs here. Um, about 150 of them run tours and take people out on rides throughout the winter. Um, so when you have such a big group of dogs, you're always, not always, but there are often some um, veterinary things that it's just really nice to have that background and be able to um, treat things very easily. So I'm I'm very glad I did the foster program. How do you care for 200 dogs? Um, it um, it's actually really fun. <laughs> um, I. Yeah, I know every single dog. Everybody has their own personality. They're all, um, yeah, they're all super cool, happy dogs. So, um, yeah, and throughout the year we have, um, in the winter, usually about eight to ten people on staff. And so everybody has about an average of 20 to 22 dogs in their care. <clears throat> so it's a very um, reasonable number. Everybody can really focus on their 20, 20 dogs. And um, then in the summer, uh, every summer varies. It goes from, you know, two people caring for the dogs to sometimes five or six. Um, but, yeah, we're always, I'm always up for having fun with the dogs and, um, when you have 200, that's all you can really do is play with the dogs, and I'm okay with that. You said you have been at Nature's Kennel for five years. What brought you to Nature's Kennel? Great question. Um, so 
I grew up in Ohio, and in Ohio, it really, <laughs> you really don't get a true winter. It snows occasionally, but the snow stays three days if you're lucky. So usually it's just a bunch of mud. And uh, so as soon as I, um, well, as I was approaching my 18th birthday, I knew that I wanted to get out of Ohio and move somewhere north where I could really um, start training in earnest. And um, so I, I knew I wanted to, join up with another kennel so I could learn from uh, a musher who's run Iditarod before and who can, you know, teach me stuff that they've learned so I don't have to learn everything the hard way. And um, so I started looking around and ended up um, coming up here. I fell in love with the Upper Peninsula. Um, couple, two or three years before actually moving up here and had visited Nature's Kennel a couple times. And so it really, really made sense to come up. And my first year here, I actually was hired on to be a guide for the tours. And uh, a couple weeks after I moved up, um, Ed Spielstra, who has run eight idea rods and has been an amazing mentor for these five years. Um, you know, two weeks in, he asked me, pretty much offers me to run Iditarod with the dogs. So um, we signed a two-year contract, and that first year I ran the tours, and then I also ran my qualifying races for Iditarod. And then the following year, I raced the Yukon Quest, I got my first thousand miler in, which was truly an amazing, amazing race. I was at the finish line. I was honestly ready to turn around and go all the way back. I <laughs> did not want it to be done. Um, then the year after that, finished my first Iditarod. Then went back to Yukon Quest. And um, last year, I actually ended up doing some shorter races all around the lower 48 and um now this year i'm headed back to iditarod so yeah long long story for a short question but um <laughs> yeah it was a i'm very thankful that i decided to make the move up here instead of anywhere else it's worked out pretty perfect thank you for that information no problem in 2018, you finished third in the Yukon Quest. Congratulations. Tell us about that race. That race um, remains my, <laughs> overall my favorite in history. Um, at times, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, that year, we had four, four days in a row that were... <laughs> 40 to 60 below zero all the time, um, and it it was rough at times. It really, as the musher, you have it really wears on you mentally because you're cold. There's no way to stay warm at that temperature. So um, yeah, at times it was rough, and um, at other times it was just perfect. And, um, and with every thousand miles, there are, there's always huge ups and downs 
because you're you're on such a long journey and you're sleep deprived and um there's just so much that goes into it but yeah that that race is pretty pretty amazing i learned a lot and just had a an incredible back pain they um they were a blast to travel the trail with it. Really, that final run is a about a hundred mile run into the finish, and it was um, just such a happy, emotional run for me. Um, just being able to look back over the past nine and a half days and think about everything that we had just gone through. We climbed four mountains. We've been in extreme cold for so long. We had um, been on the Yukon River with a, tons of open water all around us. Um, been just over so much land and seen so many things. And to be able to be on that final run when the, <laughs> is actually above freezing at that point <laughs> and uh, the sun was shining and it just felt like summer and um yeah just to be on the back of that sled and watch the team on their way into the finish and think about all that was just very powerful and then on top of that to know that we were finishing in third place was was very cool. Um, really, uh, a dream come true in many ways. Now, last year you were forced to drop out of the Yukon Quest. Talk to us about that and tell us how it made you feel. Yeah. yeah so last year um, definitely did not go as planned. Um, I was ready for um, you know start of the season, super ready and excited to get back to the quest and try to um, see if we could do even better and just just really excited. And um, so before a thousand mile race, you have to um, pack your drop bags and send them to the race. And um, then the race distributes them throughout the checkpoints and you can use them to resupply along the route. And so coming from Michigan, we have to send them up via um, freight trucks. And usually it's not a problem and goes through really well. In 2018, I had had found a shipping company and got it up there, and it went really smoothly and was just super easy and perfect. So I did the same thing this year. And uh, I got them shipped up <clears throat> so that they were going to arrive um, about about a week before they were due for the race to pick them up and distribute them. And wanted them to be up to make sure that they were up there in time. And so I shipped them up and called ahead to the warehouse where they were going and uh, let them know what it was and when it was coming and asked them if they could leave it outside so that it would 
definitely stay frozen. And um, so I had the online tracking thing going. I was following the shipment the whole way up to Whitehorse. Got there, no problem. And uh, so I was feeling great at this point. All the <clears throat> all the packing and all that stuff was done, and um, <laughs> it was up in Whitehorse, ready to go. So about or, uh, so then a day before the drop bags were due to the race, I got a call um, from one of the Yukon clubs, and uh, she broke the news to me that she had just just been inside the warehouse, and she found my bag, my the boxes of my drop bags inside the warehouse, and that they were completely. Um, ruined all the meat inside of them was thawed and she could <laughs> it was so rancid she could smell it across the room and she basically said there was really no way it could be salvaged and um with only a day to <laughs> to go I really could do nothing about it so um I thought about potential solutions, um, tried to come up with a way to still make it work, but there was no way to um, continue the plan and go up to the quest um, and still have everything done the way it should be. I would have been really hurried and wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to get everything done, period, so... At that point, I had to just yeah, really rethink the whole year and um, just change plans completely. And uh, so I um, ended up traveling out to Idaho and then um, came back and ran the UP200 here close to home and then went out to Maine for the Can-Am. So... Um, yeah, it was a, it was a huge disappointment, but, um, you know, things happen, and <laughs> I definitely learned that, you know, even though I had, I had, uh, taken precautions that should have kept that from happening, um, in the future I will, um, do even more. I'll call every day and make sure that those boxes are out and staying frozen and um yeah so that stinks that that happened to your stuff yeah it does it it is not fun well we are excited that you are back for the Iditara this year can you tell us about your goals for the race this year yeah um first I'm really excited to be going back also and um uh, I have a very fun team this year um I'm starting with a pool of 21 dogs and they're all very 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 talented dogs um and they're all really happy I love happy dogs and these guys are always wagging their tails always smiling and uh, uh, 12 of the 21 are actually dogs that I've raised from puppies. Um, 
now that I've been here five years, we are finally starting to enter the team, and it just makes it even more fun to um, have been able to see them throughout their entire lives grow up and mature. So, yeah, it'll be a fun year. I've got um, 10 dogs that have never run a 1,000-mile race. They've had lots of other race experience, but this is their first 1,000-miler, and um, I'm excited to see them, uh, how they all do with that, and I'm, I'm sure they're going to love it. So, yeah, if everything goes really well, I would love to be competitive this year and um, really see see how well we can do up there in the front of the pack. So, time will tell. Talk to us about what the dogs do during the off-season. Yeah, so in the summer, um, it's a little a little tricky um, to run the dogs in harness. Because if it's above 50 degrees, they're going to overheat way too easy. Um, they love to work, and there's they're, they're not going to use um, the excuse of being too hot to not work. So as the muncher, we have to make sure we're we're making sure that they don't make themselves too hot. And um, So instead of running them in harness, we free run them, where we can just let, let a group of dogs loose and um, go out on a walk with them or bike or take an ATV and let them run for a while. Um, and we go... Um, visit ponds and lakes, let them swim, where they're going to stay cool, and just play around and be ducks. And, um, yeah, they're all, as soon as fall comes and it starts, the temperature starts dropping at night, it's really cool to see, to watch the dogs, because they get, they know what's happening, and they get excited. They get <laughs> very vocal and very active, right to ready to roll again. When you're training for the runs, what is your favorite part? Mm, my favorite part of training is really um, seeing the team come together, seeing um, new, new leaders develop and gain confidence and um, seeing as the season goes on, I can pair different dogs together and see who's the perfect match with another dog. And getting to that point where the team's just perfect, where everybody's with their best best running buddy, and um, they're all miled up, and uh, running is just, you know, they can do a 50, 60 mile run and make it look like they didn't do anything. And it's, I really, really enjoy getting to that part in the season and just being able to stand in the back of the sled and just um, watch the dogs motor along just like a, like a well-oiled machine. That's um, truly a beautiful sight. Um, and then this time of the year is really fun also. So, Everybody's just so excited, and they're they're ready for more. Um, and you know, I think they're really looking looking ahead at the looking forward to the rest of the season also. And just the excitement is in the air. I really like that. 
We actually had our first little bit of little dusting of snow today, and all the dogs just you could see it in their eyes just oh it's snowing. The next part of our show we like to call Would You Rather? We have five questions for you to answer as quick as you can. Ready? I'm ready. Make a living as a musher or making maple syrup? I'm gonna go with, I guess, musher. I did a rod or you conquest? Um, <laughs> have to be fast, huh? Okay, if I'm just focusing on the trail, you can quest. Ohio or Michigan? Michigan. Fishing or mushing? Mm, mushing. Classical music or country music? Country. Next, what is your go-to song to listen to on the trail? Hmm, I, uh, usually have a new one every year and actually usually every race has ends up having a theme song by the end so which is really happy because in the following years that whenever that song comes on it makes me think of that race um so let's see last year it was Times Like These by Hot Strings, which is not a very common song, um, but it's super happy, and I like that. And I'm trying to think what the previous year was. Huh. Yeah, but it changes changes every year, and it's always something really happy. It's always a upbeat song that kind of makes me want to sing to it and but, but I really like it when I sing and usually as long as it's a fast song they pick their pace up if I if I start singing a slow kind of serious song I'll actually be able to see their speed go way down and then as soon as the song changes to a happy song it'll pick back up again and <laughs> it's pretty funny that's interesting Finally, who are three people you think should be on our show? Ooh, I would go with... Oh, you should do Blake and Jen Frecking. They're awesome. Um, Ryan Anderson would be a fun one. And... Let me try Brent's ass. Thank you for taking time out of your day and to talk to us, and good luck on the Iditarod this year. Thank you. Pleasure being here. Special thanks to our guest, Laura Nice, for being on our show this week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in next week. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jammin for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. Now enjoy a clip from one of Laura's favorite songs, Times Like These. It's times like these I'm feeling free. It's times like these I feel alive.